Hello and welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. Um, this is your host, Jakob Marko, and I'm here with my co-host, uh, Lenny Smith. Lenny, um, another podcast, another week. Um, I was listening to last week's podcast again with um, uh, Travis. Uh, really good insights in terms of the new release for Ignition, um, Perspective 8.1. Um, definitely after we spoke with him, we actually saw the release candidate come out. But there was a really good chat with Travis around some of the tech that's, be, that's available right now and some of the features that they're introducing with, uh, with Ignition 8.1. Yeah, no, definitely. What a bumper week this was. Um, it was the launch of the, the first ICC virtual conference yeah. as well. We, we had Element 8. We also had our first conference. Uh, we had a little bit of a meetup. It was a meetup. It was a little bit of a mix and match. Um, we were obviously, due to the levels um, that we're currently experiencing with the COVID pandemic, we were only limited to uh, 50 people. Oh, I thought you said two beers. We did help AB InBev, um, who presented yesterday, yeah. Rowan Ray from AB InBev uh, presented yesterday, and we did help them consume some of their products. A little bit of that is definitely. Um, and then as, as, um, as it happens, obviously, our president moved us to a, a, a level lower, so we could have actually had a little bit more more people to our event, but that's it. We had a great and fantastic time, and definitely uh, the release of version 8.1, definitely some of the exciting highlights that came out of the ICC. Uh, we got a little bit of a sneak peek from that from Travis last week in the podcast, but definitely I would, I would um, encourage all our, all our listeners, get your hands on the release candidate, start playing with it, yeah. see the amazing features and functionality that we have with the new release of, of the perspective module. Um, it opens up so much more, not only for just for SCADA solutions, but for any other applications that you might, might think of to implement on your plant environment. Definitely. And we'll be sure to release, uh, I, th I think what we'll do is we'll do an entire episode on, on the event itself. Uh, and hopefully we can get guys like Franzler from Clover and, and maybe even Rowan to give us a, a quick little update on some of the highlights. Cool, so this week is something a little bit different. Um, of, if you're new to the podcast, um, it uh, is all about the manufacturing and uh, production mining landscape in South Africa. Uh, we're speaking a lot about uh, the latest technology, some of the challenges that people are experiencing. And on the back of that, we have something a little bit different this week, very exciting. Um, in the world of manufacturing, um, and, and just broadly, I suppose, nowadays in the world of business and, and value chain and supply chain, some of the most critical challenges that we see um, that companies and people are facing through their value chain are fundamentally data challenges. Um, supply chain, procurement, uh, whether it's quality, um, rapid troubleshooting, and even forecasting depends on accurate and up-to-date um, data and contextualized data. So this week, we're very excited. Um, it's actually a reference that we received to chat with uh, Leandra Webray, who is a data scientist and information engineer uh, with Decision Inc., um, Leandra is it's quite quite a CV. Leandra, we we read through your. Um, I, I feel a little bit underwhelmed. Uh, sorry, overwhelmed. Uh, looking at at your uh, at your credentials. So Leandra has obtained degrees in both biomedical and electrical engineering. That's more in your field, Lenny, um, as well as a master's degree in biomedical engineering. And the focus of her master's was on brain computer interfaces. Fascinating stuff. Um, I don't think we have enough time to talk through all of that today, um, but really, really interesting um, background. Uh, Leandra, welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. Thank you so much. Really good to have you on there and talk on the topic of, of data. And I see data scientist and information engineer. Um, I, I would love to, first of all, understand exactly what is a data scientist? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of an enigma because um, it's not that there's kind of a degree for a data scientist. So it's not something exactly. you specifically set out to become. Um, but yeah, basically it is uh, very much obviously involved in the role of data, but trying to get to the deeper answers from the data. So not just what is the data, what is it telling us, but really what are the insights we can get to and all the various uh, technologies and tools that, that we use to get there basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's probably one of the, the myths about data scientists is, um, I mean, I think when I studied, I, I also studied um, engineering, um, but when I studied, there wasn't a, a course, there wasn't a, a thing to say, you're, you're now studying data scientists. Um, I think people think that you need to be some super mathematical geek to be able to do these mathematical equations. Um, but as you as you mentioned, uh, data scientists is, is not just about about the, the stats. It's a, it's a beautiful combination of technology 
how to apply that technology to business, and then how to, to do these mathematical impact studies on how to change your process and business processes. Um, so, so Leandra, I would love to, to, to understand how you went from engineering into this data scientist world and how you found the, the transition into that. How, did you fall into the field like so many other people did? I mean, going from biomedical to, to doing what you're doing now, that's, that's quite different. Yeah, it, it is quite a change. I think, so for me, I think it was kind of um, always where I, I was heading, but um, took quite uh, a route to get there. Um, I've always kind of had an interest in problem solving and numbers and all of that. So I think for me, this was kind of always the right direction. But uh, yeah, in terms of deciding what to study, obviously engineering was a good choice because um, I enjoyed the, the problem solving and the numbers. So that was, was quite an easy choice from that perspective. Um, and then obviously enjoyed the, the biomedical side of it, obviously wanting to make an impact uh, with the problem solving. So that's where that came from. And then, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, I went down to UCT and did my master's there um, and really enjoyed uh, moving from the just the academic side to actually working with data and trying to make an impact with research. Yeah. So I really loved that. Um, but then did want to work, sort of move into the working world. So then I worked for CSIR for a couple of years, doing some research there um, in the field of biometrics, actually. Um, so it was a bit of image processing and signal processing. So we're still working a lot with data there. Um, and then I moved into a, a startup for a few years, um, really a great company called Look, See, Do. Um, so they were working on biomedical technologies um, to help specifically in Africa. So we were working on an app to assist users with um, fixing medical equipment, and performing maintenance, helping them with 3D models and input from experts. So mm. that was really exciting. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I, I moved into the consulting world because I was basically looking more for a fast-paced, um, kind of working on a lot of different projects and getting exposure to a lot of different things. Uh, so that's where I find myself looking at Decision Inc. And it's been about three years now since I've been there. And yeah, what I really enjoy about this environment is that we're really trying to make an impact. So we, we take the data and we're not just representing it to our clients, we're actually taking data and trying to help them make better decisions. So I'm really seeing the impact of what I'm doing on a daily basis, which is, is really, really exciting. So I think the whole engineering and all of that, although it might sound like it's quite opposite to, to what I'm doing, actually very much relates to what I'm doing because we are constantly working with technology and constantly problem solving. And that's where engineering really gave me all those things up front. Yeah, I always love to say that, that, that engineering taught me how to teach myself. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's very, very relevant to this field as well. Um, one of the, the quotes that I got, um, you know, data science, it's, it's, it's almost like this little enigma. It's, um, everybody talks about it. Um, <laughs> nobody really knows how to do it. Um, everybody thinks everybody else is doing it. Um, so, so everyone claims that they're also doing it. <laughs> There's so many buzzwords. There's so many buzzwords. But it, it definitely is one of, I think for the last three years uh, in the job satisfactory ranking that um, data scientist has been in the past three years the, the highest rating job um, from, from a hottest job perspective. Um, there seems to be a big shortage in data scientists lately. Um, and, and, and there's some stats there that says that, um, you know, even, even though there's a big shortage, um, it seems that people are also, uh, two out of three people actually applying is not really qualified to, to do this type of, mm. of, of work. So it's, it's super important to have that right skills mm. to be able to, to do this. Data also, also highlights the, just the importance of value and how critical it's become. Exactly. Um, so, so, so Leandro, I don't know if you can give us a little bit of a, of, I don't know, the, the life, a day in the life of a data scientist. What do you actually do? <laughs> <laughs> You're a wife and a, and a mom as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's actually become a big part of my day, especially now during lockdown as well. So it's a bit of a combination of, of working and uh, being a mom and wife. So you know, quite an amalgamation there, but uh, yeah, typically before lockdown, um, yeah, my day, it, look, a data scientist, it'll really depend on what kind of company you're working for and what role you're sitting in. So because I'm a consultant data scientist, my day is typically very different, which is one of the things I love about my job. So I'll be working for different clients, working on different projects. So my day doesn't look the same. So uh, I'll be working a lot with, with clients during the day, depending on which project I'm working on at the moment. But I'll be switching between technologies and different products, uh, projects, 
So we, we use quite a range of technologies, including SQL, R, Alteryx, um, and then displaying in things like ClickSense and Tableau. So my day would typically be whichever project I'm working on, I'll be working with the data um, directly within SQL, whichever database we have the data, then transforming that data typically through Alteryx or Azure Machine Learning, trying to get our insights and then um, displaying those in Click and Tableau. So that's uh, yeah, kind of a high level view of, of what I'd be doing. But as I said, I work on a lot of different projects, so it really does change day to day. Whereas if it's a data science sitting in a, um, in a, a company where they are the in-house data scientists, their day might look a bit different because they would typically be delving just into their company's data, um, but going at maybe a much deeper lens. So that would really just vary depending on the role. Yeah. Uh, chatting with, with a couple of, of people that we in, engage with pretty much on a weekly basis. On the topic of data, one of, one of the responses that you typically get is one of being overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> there's, there is so much disparate data, just the silos of data typically across the entire supply chain, uh, just on the plant for itself in the manufacturing world. Um, and, and folks very often when they, when they start uh, getting into the process of what this journey looks like. One of, the f one of the first reactions that you get is one of just being totally overwhelmed. Not knowing where to start, what to do, how to put it all together and how to make meaning of it. Um, I, I would imagine that's the kind of um, uh, sort of departure point that you also get with, with a number of the clients that you work with and, and one of the reasons why they, they ask you to help them. Absolutely. Um, and that's, yeah, again, one of my favorite things about the job is we'll go into a client where um, a lot of the time things will be all over the place and they're not really sure how to get where they want to go. Um, and so our job is very much bringing all that data together and then not just displaying it, but actually what insights can we get from it. And what a lot of people seem to do really well is to, is to, is to collate and collect all of their data somehow. And, and I mean, there's different buzzwords, uh, data lake, um, there's different buzzwords and, 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 and theories and methodologies to do that. And they end up collating all of that analysis Instead of a, a data lake, it's a bit of a data swamp where everything <laughs> yeah. is collated, but it's still just now it's perhaps in one place, but it, it, it's still not meaningful be, because there's no context. For sure. Absolutely. Um, maybe on the buzzwords. So we hear about big data. Um, I, I, particularly me personally, I, I'm not entirely sure. What, what exactly is big data? I, I don't know if you recall the film, film Philadelphia where with Tom Hanks and the lawyer, where um, he said to me, explain it to me like I'm eight years old. <laughs> that's usually when, when it comes to any new buzzword or technology, that's, that's kind of my approach. But just on the topic of data, we've been hearing about it for quite a long time, for many, many years. Uh, what is big data and how do you classify any data as big data? So typically for us, it, it's two things. So obviously, as the name suggests, big data means a lot of data. So as in very high volumes, um, can be typically of millions of rows of data, but it's not just about how much, it's also about how quickly it's increasing in size. So particularly today, we see a lot of that in IoT because we've got um, the devices that are continuously measuring data. They could be um, sensors that are taking measurements every five minutes. So you can just imagine how quickly that data is increasing. So it's not just that it's a, a large volume, but that it's, it's increasing exponentially. Um, and we see that, you know, not just in IoT, but things like in the retail space. I mean, you think of, of daily transactions. Obviously, no. that's already millions. And then very quickly, it, it gets more and more. And, and over time, as we're wanting more data, those transactions are getting more and more detailed, which is also making the data bigger and bigger. Um, so that's, that's kind of the two aspects to big data, the, the volume, but also how quickly it's increasing. Yeah. And then also it can be obviously structured or unstructured data. So very much what you mentioned now, there could be a lot of data, but it's not necessarily good data or well-structured data, but it, that does all fall within big data. It can be both structured and unstructured. Okay, so we're generally talking about a lot of data, structured, unstructured, but a lot of data. Um, I, th I think it was a graphic piece that showed the companies now understand the importance of data. I think we all agree on that. Um, and nearly 80% of the, the respondents that they interviewed of these uh, CIOs and other uh, executives agreed that their companies will lose a competitive advantage if they don't effectively utilize their data in 2020 this year. Then you always use the example of a car's dashboard. Um, I, th I think you did that again yesterday, uh, where you indicate the, 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 um, 
the linking of different um, uh, alerts and the, the meaningful context that you can get from not only understanding the speed that you're traveling at, but also how that will impact your petrol consumption. And you don't necessarily have that link on a car's dashboard. And I think I think that's where that's where the that's where the problem really really is. Is yes, we've got all of this big unstructured data, a lot of this data, um, but there's a few a few things that we need to take and to actually action that as information. And I think that process from taking big data, unstructured data, and turning that to information that you can act on, mm. I think that is the most probably the most important step in this and to understand that data. Um, what aggregation methods do you need to apply to that data? What technologies do you need to throw on that data to actually start seeing this correlation between the different points? Um, and and I, as you say, I always take a car's dashboard. Now, your car generates so many signals, um, but for you to drive the car, there's no way that you can look at each and every one of those signals. <laughs> so your dashboard has been designed to only give you the most critical things that you need to focus on to safely operate that vehicle and to make decisions very quickly and to act on those decisions. And I think that's where the beauty of this whole, um, this whole field is, is to, to be able to understand those links, to figure out what is that correlation between these points. Mm. Um, and that is, that is for me, is, is very exciting to, to try and understand and to, to, to create these models that lives off this data to now potentially predict what's going to happen next. I, I want to chat with Andrew about that second point about making it valuable, but just in, in, in terms of just processing all these vast amounts of different types of data, what are some of the challenges that you face with, with doing that, Leandra? And do you have the technology that can do it easily for you? Yeah, look, we do. We face a lot of challenges um, from a data perspective, and it, it can typically be quite frustrating for us as uh, from an analysis point of view, because we can go into a client and we can see there's a lot of value that can be gained, but from a data maturity level, uh, it, it's not there yet, and not all the structures are in place. Uh, which can take a lot longer then to get to the answers, which is unfortunate, but is is changing quickly. Um, but yeah, a lot of the things we would typically deal with, firstly, different source systems. So we might have some data sitting in a SQL database, some sitting in an mm -hmm. Oracle database. They're all legacy setups that have been there for years. So it's unlikely they're going to change overnight to one system. So it's difficult bringing in a lot of those um, in, into our analysis. And then yeah. there is typically as well, floating Excel files, text files. Um, I know Rowan mentioned yesterday that concept of the Excel graveyard of version yeah. one, version two, copy. Somebody called, um, it, a, somebody called it a, a spaghetti spreadsheet. A spaghetti spreadsheet. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we deal with that on, on an ongoing basis where, so we have some master data sitting in databases, but then a lot of floating files that we need to bring in as well. Okay. Um, so it, it is files as well? Uh, a, a, a sort of manual paper-driven uh, paper trails, do you still find that as well? Not so much paper trails. I think we've, okay. we've hopefully moved past that. So it, it is typically digital, um, mm. but yeah, not always a, a proper order trail of which is the correct file and who updated it last and all of that. Um, yeah. So it, it can be tricky. Um, look, we do have a lot of tools that help us. So we use a tool called AlterX. Um, so the name is based on Alter Y and X. So that's, that's really a great tool because it um, allows us to bring in various different data sources Kind of in a drag and drop interface and then very quickly we can bring them together so without having to do a lot of the infrastructure setup um, and also we use azure machine learning as well which does a similar thing um, and that really helps bringing in those different data sources obviously it doesn't solve the infrastructure problem but when we're trying to do things like pocs and quick analysis um, it does really help us with that yeah. um, but then even once we've got the data in typically there's other issues so data quality is a continuous one that we're faced with so at a data entry level, the users are not properly trained on what, how to enter the data correctly. We have free text fields which have you know, rubbish in them. We have master data issues where the master data is not properly maintained. Uh, we have ownership and accessibility issues. So um, especially now, companies are getting more um, wary about sharing their data. So we often have accessibility issues there. So yeah, definitely quite a range of challenges um, until we can get off the ground. Yeah, I think um, it's a little bit of a cliche, but um, definitely rubbish in, rubbish out <laughs> normally with, this, with the solutions. Um, and, and that's why, you know, cleaning the data firsthand, having to make sure that you've got all the outliners um, out of the way, 
that the data that you're working at is a correct subset of exactly how that piece of equipment or machine mm. works is critical into actually giving you a proper result at the end of the day. Uh, just on the Excel spreadsheet, we, we, there's, a, there's, a, there's a source of data that normally is on a, on a plan. Leandro, you talked about master data and all of that. And normally there's some sort of um, a manufacturing execution system that lives on plant floors that actually um, that drives all of that. Um, we, it's an acronym, uh, MES. Yeah. Uh, and nine times out of 10, then that MES is a, actually not a manufacturing execution system. It is a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. Um, so yes, that is still very relevant and very prevalent. And I'm sure as data scientists, you, you guys fall in that data. And the problem that I have with spreadsheet is that you, you mentioned floating spreadsheets. The, the problem with floating spreadsheet is now you potentially have the same data point, mm. uh, the same calculation mm. done in five different spreadsheets which one do you believe in? Which one is uh, the correct Leandro, one? you probably find tons of that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and especially when we speak to different departments, even within the same company, they'll say, oh, but I was using this version. Oh, I was using this version. <laughs> I just feel overwhelmed just by that alone. <laughs> Somebody mentioned yesterday that, that Excel, it's a beautiful tool, but it's almost like, it's almost like the rental car uh, of, uh, of, of the car industry. It's the best 4x4, the best Formula One car. It's the all-in-one that's actually amazing, but certainly not best for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. So it, that's why I think we use Excel so much. It's such an easy data entry um, yeah. method. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, just the maintenance of it is, is just difficult. Yeah. All right, so now you've collated all this data. You, you use some tools to do that for you. You've, you've found some method in the madness. Uh, the, it is collate, uh, collated, aggregated, and, and, and effectively now it's at a point where you can start to derive value from this data. It's not raw anymore. Um, are, are there any, any kind of real, life, real world examples or, or stories that you can share of, of companies and clients that have done that really well and, and how they've derived value from that and applied that in their value chain? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we work with a variety of clients. So it's across the manufacturing, mining, retail, healthcare, and financial services spaces. So a lot of real success stories there. Um, if I think of one in the mining sector, I know you guys work a lot in that field. So uh, we've done some work with Sibanye Steel, Stillwater. Um, mm. <clears throat> they've been doing some regression analysis of what are some of the drivers of the incidents that happen in the mines. Um, so that was some extremely interesting analysis we work we did there. And yeah. then, um, yeah, I work a lot with, with retail clients. So one client we have is Woolworths. Um, our team in Cape Town is doing a lot of really exciting stuff with them there and things like um, basket analysis and what are the shoppers buying. Um, and then I also work a lot with the Simba group, so within PepsiCo, and okay. really enjoy working with that client. They really are one of our more forward-thinking clients in terms of analytics. Um, and I think the reason for this is there's three things that they've done really well. Uh, the one is that they've, they've got a business analyst in place who's driving all these initiatives with us. And that person already has buyer from upper management and the C-suite, which is so important with these initiatives okay. because it starts from, from the, top, um, the top down. So that's, that's something we really appreciated within Simba to have that support. Yeah. Um, and then oh. secondly, they have, um, they're kind of operating our, data analytics as a service model. So we do a lot of fixed cost projects for them, but also we, we always have at least one consultant permanently there. And this is so important because I think a lot of companies think that, um, that you know, you can go and put in analytics and then you, you just leave it to run. And, and that's really not the case. These, these solutions need to be put in and then really monitored over time, um, continuously meet with the business to see how is this working, how is it not working, and then make improvements to it. So that's another thing that they've done really well and adopted nicely. And then also they've continuously got a finger on the pulse in terms of what their pain points are. And this is across all their different departments. So mm -hmm. we will work on a variety of different things for the different departments. And it's because the business analyst is in contact with these people saying, what is your biggest issue at the moment? And then mm -hmm. we come there and in there and see where we can assist. So we've worked on a range of things for them, starting from things like credit limit analysis. So wow. which of their customers are using their credit limit well, which customers are potential customers where they should increase the credit limit to get more sales or versus which other customers, if they increase the credit limit, it's not really going to make a difference to their spend. Uh, then also things like route planning. So obviously Simba doesn't deliver all orders themselves, but for the ones they do deliver, 
we've done a lot of um, grouping of location analysis to say which orders should be delivered together um, and analysis like that. We've also looked at sales reduction analysis. So things like um, what is what are the key drivers that's causing sales because um, Simba does accept sales back from their customers. If they don't manage to sell it, they will buy it back from them, which yeah. is a great model to have, but obviously it's important to understand what are the drivers causing those sales and yeah. things like where the wrong products were put into the wrong stores and that then resulted in them coming back because it wasn't the right market for those products. So you, can, you, can actually, you can actually quite easily get some kind of a, a fairly simple and quick ROI kind of prediction or, or calculation on that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we see percentage reduction in that consistently. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to then calculate that their investment in the analytics was very, very much worth it. Yeah. The retail space specifically, we're a little bit more familiar with, with manufacturing and mining, but I, I can imagine the retail space, that is incredibly powerful. I mean, the ability, uh, I mean, any business, one of the key things that you're trying to understand is who your actual target audience is, who your perfect customer is. Um, uh, I mean, at, at retail, I can imagine if you can combine all of this data that you have, it can just give you incredible insights in terms of exactly who is likely to do what, uh, when they're likely to do it and, and how you can, you can engage them. That, that is so powerful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's especially now with the, the IoT sensors that's available, um, mm. just giving us the capability to actually have all of this information. I know in the retail space there's, and it's such a, it's such a when you hear it, you think, geez, that's such a simple solution. Mm. I mean, they put up infrared cameras as an example, and they mm. just analyze the heat maps. Uh, and with that heat map analysts, they can easily identify where's the hot spots and the cold spots in the shop. So yeah. where do I need to pack product uh, that I want to move? You move it to obviously where the people go. Uh, so, so it really is it's quite an interesting that, as you mentioned, we're from manufacturing. Uh, we think apply this to, to big pieces of equipment to, mm. to determine failures and maintenance, but the, the broad apl applications that we can do from, the, from just mining information is, is incredible. Um, I do also like that what Leandra said, and I think it's something that I, I've said on the podcast a lot of times is just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean you need to go on this journey. If you do not have buy-in mm. and not have a clear user case on what you actually want to achieve with this, mm. uh, just because big data is now a big word in, in a buzzword in the industry, like we've seen with mobility mm. and digital transformation and digitization strategies, you must make sure that you couple this with a strategic initiative that's going to give you ROI and it's actually going to solve a business problem. And Leandro, you probably you probably have some some horror stories as well where where you know if you don't have that that the project is is pretty much a, a the failure. Owner, the ownership or the ownership is not taken off completely and 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 rightfully as you say, you think you install this thing. It's something you buy off the shelf. You install it. You leave it. You get your results and 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 then you leave it and that's that's what it should be. Um, but but surely there's some some horror stories as well about people not we getting the right names. <laughs> getting it right um, and and it's not the technology's fault it's it's not the data's fault it uh, is, we, and I think we typically defend the technology yes exactly it's, it's, and I think technology gets gets the blame quite a lot uh, but I don't think it's it's always the case no absolutely I yeah I definitely won't mention names on this one <laughs> but yeah we we definitely have seen some cases of that and it it's so sad you know because the investment is is put in and, and we'll go in and do something but yeah, if, if their buy-in isn't there and we're not brought in on an ongoing basis to maintain that solution, you know, a few people might look at it, but they'll see something wrong with it and then they'll say, oh, no, I don't trust this. And then they'll just stop using it. And then then there's definitely no ROI because there was an investment, um, yes. but now there's no improvement on it. There's no maintenance. And so it, it unfortunately will fall short. Um, You've just mentioned something, Leandro, that that's that I thought of now. You you they see something. Do you do you find that sometimes when the truth is exposed, do you sometimes find that there is a reluctance to to commit or go further once the truth is exposed? Or sometimes there's maybe um, you know, ooh, we didn't realize this is actually what it is. We have to actually manipulate it. We can't show this. Absolutely. Have you had some of those examples? Sure, yeah. And uh, there's also a lot of where um People are basically scared for their own jobs based on, you know, what yes. they're going to reveal. Um, so instead of looking at it as, okay, wait, we can reveal these things so that you can improve them um, and yeah. you can then spend time on other things. Unfortunately, a lot of people are uh, nervous for their job security. So, so yes, they are concerned if we are 
opening up too much insight from the data that might reveal that uh, there, there are inconsistencies or inefficiencies. Um, so certainly that's, that's again why we need that buy-in and that, that confidence from upper management to remind the employees that all this analytics is here to do good for them and to help them. It's really not to put them out of a job. Yeah. Rosa, we've spoken a little bit about the, uh, the ownership piece, the, the human change management, if I, if I suppose I can, we can call it that. So, so for organizations and companies and, and typically the customers that you, that you help that are looking to become more data-driven, um, what, what should some of the strategies that they apply to, to start with this journey include? If, if you can maybe summarize that for us, I think that'll be really valuable. Sure, yeah. So basically, it's, it's not a, a simple thing that happens overnight. It is a journey. So that's what we always tell our clients, that this isn't going to happen quickly. We need to plan for it and implement it over a long period. But the typical advice is let's start small with analytics to prove the concept, while at the same time planning for the bigger future. So there's a lot of hype around a lot of these analytics co uh, concepts. And, but when you go in blind as a company, often it will fall short of those expectations if you're trying to apply analytics to everything all at once. What we say is let's not try and go for everything. Let's start with something simple. So what is a typical pain point that you have in your everyday business? So, for example, maybe you're trying to understand um, variances in unit price with your procurement. Let's do some analytics there. Let's do some regression analysis. Um, and let's first show the business users that just a small project like this can give them the answers they need and can help them determine things like which products are affected by um, the vendor, which products are affected by the month, uh, which, which uh, products are affected by the quantities that I buy. So start with something small like that. And immediately once the business users see um, that actually they can really gain something from it, then it will start to pick up. Mm. So it's really important to, to start small, but then, at the same time, a plan for the bigger picture. So you need to have the, the people, the process and the technology. So the people to drive it, the process in place, um, and then the technology. So from a technology standpoint, that infrastructure is, is really so important. So um, some inputs here from a colleague of mine is that if when we're setting up an infrastructure, there's kind of five things that companies need to plan for in their strategy. So mm -hmm. a data lake, uh, we spoke about that a bit earlier. So having a data lake there for the initial storage of mostly unstructured data, mm -hmm. then a modern database to start structuring that data, then a data movement and preparation tool where we can manipulate and cleanse the data, um, a data exploration tool uh, where we do our data science and our more in-depth analytics. So that would be like the Alteryx or Azure Machine Learning Studio. And then finally, a business intelligence tool where we can bring everything together and visualize it because it's great to have very exciting inputs um, and exciting outcomes from a data point of view. But if we don't present those correctly to business, it's also not going to be accepted. So in the planning, um, in, uh, in getting that, that structures in place, it's important to start with something small, but get those five technology pieces in place so that yeah. then when you are ready and you're mature, those things are already there and make the analytics a lot easier. Definitely, definitely when that maturity is there. I, I also love the fact that it's a journey. It absolutely is a journey. It's not something that's going to be um, solved for or something that you're going to see the immediate value after a month or two months. It's definitely a journey and it's important to understand the, the milestones and the, and, the, and the points on that journey that's going to get you to a point where, where you can extract that value. And I think these days it's, it's actually been made quite, I wouldn't say quite simple, but it's made a little bit more um, tangible. Mm -hmm. I mean, cloud technologies allow you to have that data lake up in the cloud. You can inject that with your plant information, your plant data. Uh, a lot of the technologies are, you know... We're really spoiled for choice. We are spoiled for choice. I, I do believe that. And, and a lot of these companies are geared up to do these analytics and mm -hmm. provide you with the tools. Leandro, like, like you mentioned, I mean, there's a whole bunch of sets, subsets of tools. You don't have to go and write the queries and the regression analysis mm. yourself to actually do that. We, we are spoiled and that, and these tools are available. It's literally for us to, to have that, that data in place to feed into these systems, to actually start making, making these decisions for us. Andrew, I love what you mentioned about the, uh, you mentioned people process and technology. What I love about that is that you, you start with the people. I think very often, uh, and you'll probably find that, that there's, a, there's an expectation that you start with the technology and that's all you need. Um, I, I love that you start with the people and then the process and then, then the technology. Absolutely, yeah. We've definitely found that that's critical to success. 
Um, it's very much about the people. And when they want the analytics and they're continuously asking us what more we can do, then that's when we know we've got the right client that's ready for the analytics. Yeah, I think that's an important point. That's right for the analytics part. I think even after the, the people and the process steps, you might have already identified something that you can improve or, or processes that you need to, to tweak a bit. And then literally to, to move into that next step within the analytics is to, to now start using machine learning, et cetera, to, to drive that. And I think I might be wrong, but I think when people think of this, they, they immediately go that route. Oh, I must include, I must include machine learning and AI yeah. to, my, to my journey. And as, and as you mentioned, start small, just, just clean the data and do some very simple analytics on that data. And, and that will already point you in a direction of where to go. Right, Leandro, data scientist, information engineer, um, I'm gonna put you on the spot. What, what are some of, the, some of the trends for data and data management that you, that you predict over the next few years? And I suppose from your point of view, there's perhaps a pre-COVID view on what that will be. And now there's a post-COVID view. Maybe there's even some of that. And, and it's, Absolutely. It's Maybe definitely. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. Um, for me, what, what's really exciting as a data scientist is that the, the role of data is really changing. So we can see that that trend definitely happening that a few years ago, we, there was a lot of data, but it was just seen as a byproduct. Uh, whereas now we're starting to get the trend where data is being seen as an, seen as an asset. Um, and this is only going to pick up in the years to come. So we are going to get to those answers a lot quicker because people are realizing that and structuring their data better to get to those answers. So initially was, there was this massive peak about AI and all of that, um, but no real value gained. I think we're now in the more, uh, the dip after that where it's going to be implemented correctly and then getting to the real value, which is really exciting. And, and as you say, COVID has really speeded up that process because Firstly, a lot of people have seen how valuable data analysis can be. So just with analyzing the pandemic, um, it's been so incredible the things that data has shown us about it and that we've used data to really analyze it. Uh, but on top of that, people have been working from home as well. So the data infrastructure has needed to already incorporate that and very rapidly move to that. So we've seen a move to cloud much quicker um, and definitely accelerated by the pandemic. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Um, and then, yeah, some other thoughts, and this is not all from me. There's a colleague of mine um, who's helped me as well with some of these inputs, but some other trends we're looking at seeing is a lot of moves to one-stop analytical tools. So things like Snowflake, uh, ClickSuite, Azure Synapse, things like that, where everything can be done in one tool. There's also some really incredible things coming out like digital twins, um, mm. IoT and sensor data. That's all very much on the rise. And then also we're seeing a big trend to more data governance. So that, that idea that we need to have correct and clean data, but also that we need to manage who is seeing it. So privacy is definitely becoming more of an issue. So we're going to see where I think at the moment we're seeing a lot of people giving access quite freely to data. I think that is going to change and people yeah. are going to become a lot more um, concerned about privacy. Uh, but then as well, the, the things we've spoken about is already. So the machine learning forecast modeling, algorithm-driven recommendations and decision-making, that's, that's only going to increase um, in the years to come, which is really exciting for us. But we're really moving now from a, a reactive phase to a proactive phase. So that's before exciting. we were starting to look at, at yeah, exactly what the, why things happened in the past, but now we're actually starting to say, okay, well, we know why it happened, so let's now use that to predict what's going to happen going forward and plan better instead of just understanding why something happened. So yeah. those are all really exciting for us to see. Definitely is. On, I, I want to ask you about the Poppy Act. So, so the Poppy Act in South Africa, we, it, it's an effect. Um, have, you, have you seen a little bit of a different approach towards strategies around data? Maybe a little panic from, from some people in terms of how that will affect them and, and what they have to put in place? Yeah, so certainly um, some clients are getting there um, and we do tend to have to go around the security protocols first, whereas definitely, you know, a few years back, the clients were maybe more uh, willing to give us access, um, you know, give us, a, a, you know, database admin so that we can access all the data. There's definitely starting to be second thoughts about that now. Um, and not always from the analysts necessarily, because they would want us to have access to the data. It's typically more from your IT security yes. aspects, which, which makes sense. So those are the roles that are, would be more affected by the security aspects. Yeah, yeah, it does. 
Definitely. And uh, tying in with that, I think is, is uh, let's call it a data breach. You know, it's probably one of the more prevalent sort of occurrences that we see in, in the world nowadays is, is just data security and data breaches and call it cybersecurity. Um, that is maybe at an alarming rate, seemingly increasing a little bit as well over the, over the last little while. Um, and people looking to protect their data. Are you, are you guys in, in any way involved in potentially what that looks like in some of those processes? Um, so not so much from the security point of view. We're more no. on the, yeah, the data management side. So typically the security uh, clients would prefer to do that in-house by their own IT departments, which obviously makes complete sense that they want yeah. ownership of that. Um, but yeah, so we, we wouldn't necessarily be involved with implementing it, but we would definitely... Uh, encourage it and I think that's where we're also getting to more now is that even if the client is willing us willing to give us access to the data we're the yeah. ones who sort of question it and say well are you sure we should have this level of access um, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I can imagine um, it, uh, I think we've got to cover cybersecurity in, in one of the upcoming mm -hmm. podcasts definitely, definitely. Um, I, I, you mentioned IOT a couple of times do you see um, uh, a sort of a an increase on uh, in data from IoT, I mean, IoT can be many different things. Your phone is an IoT device. Your, your Fitbit that you're wearing is potentially an IoT device. So IoT as a word and a concept has actually been around for a very long time. But now that we understand the structure behind IoT, it seemed like there was a lot of promise around IoT over the last couple of years. Um, maybe there was a challenge with devices and networks and cost and scaling. But do you see some more IoT type data entering the data sets and then data environments with, with some, of the, some of the customers that you're working with? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and especially within like the manufacturing fields um, mm. and in plants and things like that, these, these tools are going to be so important. Um, and actually the startup I worked for previously was also looking into some IoT devices and IoT solutions, um, especially when we're looking at things like uh, into Africa where we maybe don't have access to get directly to the plant, but we still want to know what's happening there on a continuous basis. And mm. that's where the IoT devices are, are so important. And, and for things like proactive maintenance and, and things like that, it's, it's really important that we can, we can get that information. It's definitely possible. So it's just a case of, of putting all the, the technology and, and things into place. I think what has been hard with IoT is that it is so much data um, and what maybe a lot of um, companies have been wary of is then, okay, this is now this huge data dump. They're paying to store this data, but what are they actually getting out of it? So again, it's very much about there was this huge hype at the beginning, um, but now we're more getting to the part of, okay, well, let's implement it properly and that way we can get to the true value of it. Um, but there's definitely, I would say, a lot more to come on the IoT side. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that, that there was a lot of hype um, because <laughs> it was. there was a lot of hype and, and, and obviously with any new technology being big data, mobility, IoT, there's always, and Gartner's got this thing they call yeah, it the, the hype cycle. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that um, we over the hype. So that means we've, we've smacked bang through down on our faces through the trough of disillusionment about this whole thing. And then we're actually moving into the plateau of productivity with the hype cycle. So I'm very glad that, that we went through that cycle and we can actually now start employing that. Um, Last thing I want to comment is that, that you mentioned that, yes, people are, are starting to, to send more clean data to their, to their warehouses. And I think that's, that's very super important is try and get your data as clean as possible from the source before you go and deploy it to these upper technologies that you, that you employ. It will definitely just make your whole process and your whole data analytics solution so much easier and so much more effective if you can start cleaning your data from a lower level before you put it into your data lake whatever that case is. So yeah, it sounds like there's some interesting times ahead, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Very exciting. Andrew, thank you very much for, for chatting to us about this, this journey of uh, information and transformation, and, and let's just call it the information value chain. I wanted to, uh, a little bit more personal, um, given your background and your experience, you, you're very passionate about you do, uh, what you do very clearly. You very well, do it very well. Any, any advice for anyone considering a career in data, data science, analytics, given how broad and wide it has become? Um, I, th I think it is definitely a, a, a hot item as far as careers and, and jobs go. Any advice for young people, uh, perhaps still studying, um, just uh, finishing up their studies, um, considering a career in the, in the field of data? 
Absolutely, yeah. So, so starting from the degree side of it, obviously a degree in, in something technical helps, but as we discussed initially, there's no degree in data science. So it really can be a range of, of different degrees. The ones we would typically look at is engineering, uh, BSCs, maths and statistics, uh, obviously actuarial science is a good one because there's that uh, real stats core. So there is quite a range of degrees you can study, but ultimately something technical does help because that's giving you the right skills that you need to do the, the deeper analysis. Um, but also it shows that you already have an interest in the technical side um, to have chosen a degree like that. So that is important and we do look at that. Um, but it's, it's not just that, it's very much more about the wider skill set. So we often talk um, in data science about a T skill set. So it needs to be wide. So you need to have a lot of different skills uh, mm -hmm. ranging from technical, academic, uh, presentation and storytelling is actually extremely important, especially if you're in yeah. science. Yeah, that's a very good point, that, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people might have the technical, but they can't necessarily uh, communicate the insights either to their own company or to the clients, uh, mm. which is unfortunate. So it, it's really important to have that wide set of skills, but then also deep within specifically the technical side of it. So do you have those deeper technical analytic skills um, to actually be able to perform those uh, that side of it? Yes. Um, but then also, what have you done on your own to kind of self-teach yourself? So because it's not a degree in data science, if you come to us with a saying you've got an, an engineering degree, that's great. But what have you done in your own time to investigate data science? Have you done any projects of your own? Um, what, have, what skills have you self-taught yourself? Um, and we talk a lot about a citizen data scientist as well, which is becoming much more prevalent due to tools such as Alteryx, where it is very much these drag and drop interfaces, you can do things very quickly. So, you know, have you played around with those tools and tried to become a citizen data scientist? Uh, first, have you done uh, courses on data camp, things like that? So we can do further training once the data scientist is with us, but it's important that we, we see that they've had that, that initiative on their own, mm -hmm. Um, and, and really shown an interest in the field already. Yeah, I think I think that's probably one of the myths we spoke about right at the beginning. Um, a data scientist is just a, a, math, a math geek that you put in a corner in an <laughs> Somebody office. Somebody you lock away in an office and just crunch, crunch, crunch some the data. data. You know, slide a pizza underneath the door every now and then. <laughs> um, you definitely need to have that combination of technology. Uh, so you need to be interested in new technology trends, understand how to apply those technologies, but also have that little bit of business business skills to do these type of consultings uh, to go out to interact with people to understand the processes and draw up those those processes and then obviously you need a, still a little bit of, of math and number crunching but definitely it's a it's a very broad skill set that you would require yeah i think everything is really andrew pointed out there's super great and, and maybe the one that wasn't obvious to me andrew was the the ability to tell a story and articulate it very well yes um that's one that wasn't so obvious to me um, so super happy that you mentioned that. And it's actually, to your point, it's actually super critical for it you is. to be able to do that effectively. I mean, the, the regression analysis can spit out an equation for you, right? Mm. Uh, what is the R square for, for, for linear regression? But if you can't tell the story about what that's telling you, yeah, yeah it's super important to relate that back to actual business value. Yeah. Yeah, Leandro, fascinating stuff. It sounds really exciting, actually. You've, uh, you've, I'm quite interested in, in understanding a little bit more, a little bit better. Maybe I should have made different career choices. <laughs> <laughs> but um, fascinating stuff. I love the I love the summary about uh, the skills needed. And I think that's a, a very, very, very good summary for somebody considering data. Maybe also uh, just some of the myths around typically what you do and what the job entails is definitely a lot more exciting, I think, than people would, would expect it to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we, I will just mention here as well, we are always looking. So if there are any data scientists or someone interested who is listening, um, yeah, I'll take a look at Decision Inc. So that's decisioninc.com. Uh, we do definitely always have openings for data scientists. So anyone who's interested can just contact us. Definitely. We're going to share, uh, we, we're going to share your, your email address, if that's okay, as well as, as the Great, website. Yeah. So we'll share it as part of the um, description of the podcast. But amazing chatting to you, Landra. Thank you so much. We could probably chat with you for another couple of hours. It's such a fascinating topic and such a, such a relevant topic today. But thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Good stuff, Lenny. Perfect. Thanks, Leandra. Um, obviously, I wouldn't say I'm a data scientist, but I do play in this information space a little bit in the manufacturing environment. So for me, 
always great to to understand and to hear that clean oh, for amazing. me cleansing of data is, yeah. is super important before you do your etl process to actually make sense of what's happening and and i i, I do hope that, that i think the manufacturing world is ready i think we definitely are ready to apply these data scientist techniques mm. um, not just on machines mm. um, not just for for maintenance predictions but on production data as well to determine peaks in production and yeah. how, what your production information is also doing so very excited what's going to happen in, in, in not not in the near future now the on, industry on is definitely ready and it definitely needs it and it needs brilliant people like andrew and, and decision link that, that can help them through that now cool Leandra, thank you very much great chatting to you um we'll share your contact information as part of the podcast and yeah just again thank you so much for your time excellent thanks so much guys Cool. So, Lenny, next week we're chatting with um, Kudzai Mandatere. Sorry, got that wrong. Mandateresa. Kudzai is an incredible um, young engineer that um, started Industry40.tv. Um, it's entirely um, for free. He creates, he's got a couple of thousand followers now. He creates these little tutorials and how to videos on how to connect to devices, Sigfox, IoT, um, all, in, all in the space of IoT tutorials and workshops. Um, it's not monetized. He does it for free. A couple of thousand followers just doing incredibly good work and, and helping people get started and, and get, get going with, with little hardware implementations on what it actually is. So next week we're chatting with, with Kudzai. Really looking forward to that one. Um, and be sure to also listen to last week's podcast with, with Travis Cox from Inductive Automation um, uh, talking about the latest releases of, of 8.1 Perspective. I think it's a great podcast to follow on this one. Um, Definitely, we yeah. spoke about getting all of this information, deploying mm. these sensors. And I think what, what he's doing to showing mm. us with little tutorials, are, it's becoming so much simpler, so much easier. And I think we're ready. I really do believe it's ready. So very exciting for, for that podcast yeah. next week. It feels like we almost need to create like a bit of a playlist on the topic. We had Arlen Nipper, uh, obviously the co-inventor of MQTT. We spoke with him. Uh, Louis van Weyck from BCX, he also covered a little bit about the IoT space and some myths, chatting with Leandra today around sort of cool, collecting and aggregating. Now we want to make sense, sense of, of, all of, of all of this. Definitely feels like we need to do a bit of a playlist on that one. Definitely. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any uh, suggestions or questions, please let us know at podcast at element8.co.za and we look forward to the next episode. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. <laughs>